right before recording this episode, I went on Google and I typed in best camera for video in 2020. This is a sentence that I've been typing into Google quite a bit lately because uh, a few weeks ago I decided to purchase a camera. I had saved up some money, I've worked very hard, and I felt like it was time for me to invest in my business. I needed something that was going to be a good camera for the next five years, um, something that was going to uh, be durable, that was something that I could grow into, and obviously something that is relatively high-end. I know what my peers and competitors are shooting with, so I at least know what's out there, but I want to start from scratch. I want to start from where the average person starts when they're looking for a brand new camera. I've actually, I've come to the conclusion that I'm the worst person to ask about cameras. It's not that I'm ignorant about them. It's just that I can never give someone a satisfactory answer. My opinion about gear stems from my personal experience and I can't help but project that to other people. I could be inauthentic and say, you need to get a Sony uh, a7 III or a 5D Mark IV, which as of today, December 5th, 2019, uh, the Sony a7R IV, the Sony A9 Mark II, the Blackmagic Design Pocket Cinema Camera 4K and 6K, these are some of the cameras that uh, come up to the top of the list when you type in best camera for video in 2020. At first I was like, okay, well done. Like, what what do I have to know? I know what other people are shooting on. I know that this has a lot of favorable reviews. Uh, I've been working with uh, Sony Alpha camera for a while already, uh, even though it's fairly entry level, like I've gotten a lot out of it. Uh, why not just upgrade to the A7R4? What easier decision could I possibly make? And right as I was about to hit the buy button, I, I stopped and asked myself this question. Why am I buying this camera? Why not dive into the specs and then try to figure out which one has the best specs for me? I know enough about specs to know what I'm working with, but I, I am not intimately and scientifically knowledgeable of cameras and, and every single way in which they work. Um, when I was a teenager, uh, I think I was probably uh, 16 years old and I was living in Renton. I was still in high school and I learned enough about film and video to know that this is what I wanted to do with my life. I'd already been doing it for a few years. I learned enough about cameras and editing that I felt like if I were to make a significant investment into some kind of camera, that it wouldn't be a waste. And that if anything, I would be growing into something. Now, I need to give you some real context as to why I am not a specs person or a gear person, because it's very important to me. I'm very passionate about the subject. And if I could tell a younger me something about specs and gear, I would say this. It's okay not to have the best, latest and coolest and the one that everyone is drooling over. It's okay to go for something that is maybe a, a weird purchase. Maybe it's, it's something that is outdated, it's okay to do this because of what I know, because of what I went through. So I, I had had some experience with the Canon XL2 thanks to a, uh, a workshop that I went to and, and that I got to learn a lot from. And um, I got really familiar with the Canon XL2. So I felt like I needed to purchase it. I felt like it's just what I know. So I should get it and I should make the most of it. 
So I went out looking for a Canon XL2, but they were still way outside my price range. So what I ended up doing, and I don't know why I did this, but I just did it, is I found a Canon XL1. This is back, this had to be at around 2007 or eight when I bought a Canon XL1. If you are familiar with the Canon XL1, you know that the Canon XL1 was released in 1998. So why did I buy a camera that was released in the 90s? I have no idea. If anything, I bought it because it looked cool. Obviously, I never brought that camera around professionals because I knew that if anyone, uh, if anyone that is actually doing video seriously saw that, they would laugh me out of the room. So, uh, so I, so I basically started tinkering with this camera and I and I dove into it like crazy. I got to know that camera inside and out, and uh, I learned how to do green screen work. I learned how to do um, narrative work. I made my first ever uh, like web video promo with that camera. Looking back on it, I feel like that camera and I were meant for each other. It was old, it had a lot of mileage on it, but it had enough hardware and software that I needed to sink my teeth into. And I was young, naive, stupid, and broke. It was just enough of a taste of professionalism that I felt like I had the confidence to continue learning. I had. It felt like I felt like it was it, it was a drop of water in a desert for me because it made me feel like there's so much that I need to learn. And if I can absolutely dominate this old piece of junk, then I can graduate into something that is more uh, contemporary and more serious. And maybe I'll know what I'm talking about when I actually have it. So a few years go by and I continue getting a lot of value out of this camera. I shoot a lot of videos. I start making some early promos with it. Uh, I start learning, I start actually cultivating a visual language and uh, a work ethic behind editing. So come 2009, 2010, I start looking at cameras again. And by this point I had shot some weddings, I had shot some video promos. I had done a lot of uh, very entry-level freelance work, so I was able to I was able to save up some money again And I felt like I was ready to make another investment and to graduate to something cooler And at this time I had just booked a wedding that I really wanted to shoot in HD I felt like I had the experience I felt like I had the hardware and for a while I had already been eyeing this camera that was still relatively new It was the Canon XH a1 released in 2008 so for two for a camera that was released in 2008 around this time uh it was actually it was around 2000 yeah it was around 2010 because at around because at around that time was when i was still going out and doing a lot of uh a lot of uh, independent film productions and stuff i was i was a a production assistant in a lot of uh, little, little indie movies up in seattle and so uh, and so I felt like, like once I have this camera, I can make my own films and uh, I can bring people out to some of my own productions and maybe I will be cool and maybe I will look more serious to some of the people that I admire. So I get the camera and I start playing with it and I, and I realized that a lot of what I learned on the Canon XL1 actually translated really well over to the, uh, Canon XH-A1. Like it was, 
it, it was a very simple learning curve. And if anything, all I had to do was get familiar with um, with the language of HD. But ultimately, it was a gut decision. It was like I felt like this was the right camera for me. It didn't take long for me to start investing into more and more accessories, like stabilizers, professional tripods, sliders. Like I started buying a lot of gear because I felt like, okay, I'm taking myself very seriously now, and um, and I want people to know like I'm the real deal. So. Uh, I buy a really good shotgun microphone. Um, I I just I just start investing into gear a lot, and not soon after, a brand new camera hit the market that would forever change everything. It would change the game. It would change the art, and it would change the commerce of the craft. The 5D Mark II came out. Now, if you started your film or video journey after the year 2012, you probably don't know the alchemy behind the coveted film look. From the very beginning, people have been trying to achieve the film look with camcorders. That's all that there was before the Canon 5D Mark II came out in 2012. You're probably familiar with those big bulky adapters that had a mirror they were like a they were like a they were like a periscope that you were able to put a a 35 millimeter photography lens at one end and uh, and then you were able to screw the other end onto the lens of your camcorder it would give you a more shallow depth of field uh, and it would give you that film look but you had to basically you had to rig up your camcorder with this huge adapter that costs like $2,000 at the time. You basically had to flip the image vertically in post. The adapter turned the image upside down. Um, and, and you know, people got creative. Uh, they figured out ways around all that stuff. And there was this whole industry around trying to get the film look. The 5D Mark II came in and basically gave everybody the same tool. If you were a videographer, you could now be a cinematographer. And if you were a cinematographer and videographer, then you can suddenly become a good professional photographer. You suddenly brought all these worlds together under one piece of gear. And the film look was finally fully achievable. How many careers were started or facilitated by the Canon 5D Mark II and the Canon 7D? Lena Dunham's first film, uh, I think it was Tiny Furniture, that was shot on a Canon 7D. And I remember, I remember at the time reading in a Movie Maker article how the Canon uh, 7D and the 5D Mark II and um, the H.264 codec were gonna change and revolutionize the game forever. I was reading these articles about the future of filmmaking, like suddenly this Pandora's box was opened. And what's happened since then, what's happened since the 5D Mark II came out, is that for some reason, even though we achieved the film look and surpassed it in almost every way conceivable, we are never satisfied. We are never satisfied with the look. And even now, when your cell phone can get the film look, then, then what is the problem? Before DSLRs, what truly mattered at the time was that you made something that people wanted to watch. Because all that we ever read about was how did these filmmakers get their start? How did Quentin Tarantino create Reservoir Dogs? 
How did he go on to make Pulp Fiction? How did he go on to have a legendary career? How did Robert Rodriguez start? And so many of us read Rebel Without a Crew and we held on to it like it was the Bible. And so many of us uh, went out there and we got really good at telling stories because we, we knew when you had the chance to make a project, you needed to make a count. Filmmaking was risky. It was expensive. It was laborious. Like it was just extremely difficult. And what's happened since the release of the Canon 5D Mark II, some really great projects were made on the 5D Mark II when it came out. A lot of great projects, quality stories and solid careers were built on the 5D Mark II. And everybody felt like they had to have the Canon 5D Mark II. If you were not shooting on a Canon 5D Mark II, you were not serious. You didn't want to get your film into Sundance. Like If you didn't have what all of the influencers had, then you were nobody. And there I was standing with my Canon XHA1 that I worked so hard for and realizing like, damn, what a waste of money. I could have saved up enough to get a 5D Mark II. And I felt like an idiot. I, I was still shooting on tapes and I realized that now I had to learn some photography language because I needed to save up to buy what is basically a photography camera with a video feature. Um, but then something remarkable happened. I shot a lot of films with my XHA1. In fact, my very first narrative short film was shot on my XHA1 and I took all of my experience, all of my filmmaking experience, and all the money I could put together into making my first narrative short film called Among Thorns. And I submitted it to the, um, the National Christian Youth Film Festival in Bakersfield, California. And that year I won Best Screenplay. Uh, my actor won Best Actor. Uh, we got Best Cinematography and we got Best Picture at that film festival. And that was my, um, and those, uh, those four awards uh, came after my very first filmmaking award um, that I got from working on a project with a whole team of people. And that was shot on the, on the Canon XL2. In, almost immediately after that, uh, I go into another competition and uh, I won uh, second place in the, uh, the Renton Film Frenzy. Again, shooting, shooting on my Canon uh, XHA1. And around that time, I also shot my first um, music video for my friend uh, David Fabian and his band, and uh, and that got uh, that that was an official selection for a film festival in Texas. I don't remember the name at this moment, but a lot of the work that I did on the Canon XHA1 got me a lot of opportunities to work on some serious projects that actually made me money. And I realized that during the time in which I was so worried and so stressed out about being a loser, running around with a camcorder while everybody was trying to get their hands on a Canon 5D Mark II, um, I had actually developed a voice. Like I figured out a way to really cast my vision out with the camera that I had. And so I don't know at what point exactly it was, but I just decided that I just didn't care anymore. And I, and I think, and, and I felt like, even though everybody was going in this one direction, that I was going to stick to the Canon XHA1 and I was going to kick its ass. Let's say we're looking at 2,000 shoes. How many do you think are prototypes that'll never 
be available outside of the circle. I'm not a numbers guy. Okay. But mostly. I'm a feeling. It's a it's a inspiration. It's channeling. Right. You know, and I'm not. This isn't. This isn't. I'm not a numbers guy. Uh, that's me. the thing. Yeah, that's the see. That's the thing. Is everyone? Yeah. It's it's all these like calculations. This some this right here is. You say you love sneakers, right? Yeah. You can't calculate love. Uh, Do you love seeing these? I love seeing them. Seeing these? I love seeing them. I'm just curious. What's how the many... feeling that you get? Uh, joy. So when you get joy, do you try to calculate? You know, like if if you get a surprise cake from your grandmother and you didn't know she was in town, yeah. do you start asking her about the batter <laughs> and specifically the frosting? Perhaps not, but I'm not writing a story about my grandma, so. Well, that's what people need to realize about artists and people who dedicate their life and go to the hospital and back to bring joy that they should be loved and treat it like how you would treat your grandmother giving you a cake because these things are made to bring uncalculable joy so what Kanye West taught me about gear is that I am not a numbers guy I am not a specs guy I am not a latest model guy. I'm a filmmaker. I have a voice. I have a style. I have determination. I have a message. If you agree or disagree with what I said, by all means, reach out to me, carlos.impressa at gmail.com. You can also DM me on Instagram at carlos at work or at impressa.media. I would love to hear what you have to say. Everything I'm at, make